let go of that, then we find uh, there's uh, resting in that quality of, of awareness, of, of being that knowing, and the problems are, are over. So it's very frustrating to the conceptual mind and the I-creating mind. In Pali it's called ahankara, made of I am, or mamankara, made of mine. Ahankara, mamankara. Isa. As you, go, you can use that as a mantra. If you don't like buddho as a mantra, you can go through your day going ahankara, mamankara, ahankara, mamankara, ahankara, mamankara. I am mine, I am mine. This is mine, I am this. It probably has the same effect. So. But we are able to, to keep uh, relinquishing, letting go, and coming back to that. So we're not trying to define what it is that knows or make it into a person or an entity, but it's more just recognizing that there is that knowing, there is that refuge, there is that awareness. And the more that fully the heart rests in that, the more suffering ceases. We don't create problems. So we can go and do some walking meditation now for the next uh, little while. It's about three now. And so, uh, again, uh, giving people a chance to, to get out and get shod and, uh, and find a place to walk. Um, so uh, if we ring the bell, where is our bell ringer? We got a, have we got a bell ringer for the afternoon, Sarah? Oh, there we are. Yeah. Um, so if we ring it at uh, about 3.40, um, then it uh, gives a chance for people to get out and then walk for half an hour and get back in uh, at the end of that. Um, and again, just to, to stress with the walking, and also even before you start walking, even before you get up to go and start walking, <coughs> just to be sustaining this quality of continuity of, of feeling the, 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 the body moving, the informal period of getting up, getting out of the room, finding your shoes, finding a place to walk, competing for a, the best walking <laughs> spot, mindfulness of competing, <laughs> mindfulness of feeling like I shouldn't be competing, but I'm still competing. <laughs> I'm sure the I'm sure Ajahn Amro would understand <laughs> feeling. Um, so just to be knowing, you know, staying with the feeling of knowing that, and then as as you walk, even as you're walking to the to the place, just cultivating that sense of this is all happening within the space of our awareness. That the right now, it's not like you have to get outside and then be with the the see the world inside your mind outside. It's it's already the case now, <laughs> right? not like you have to wait till you're on your walking path and then you can find that the world is in your mind. It's already in your mind. And so to be able to, um, to keep remembering, this is sight, sound, feeling, smell, taste, touch, that which knows the flow of, of sankharas, the flow of perceptions and thoughts and feelings, that is, not, not, that is not flowing anywhere. That's not going anywhere. It's just as it is. It comes and goes and changes. It has its... Uh, the, the patterns of experience have their nature, but that quality of awareness is, is uh, stable, is un, unwavering, is uh, unmoving. And to let the mind you know, rest with that and let the, the world come through your mind. When I was about to set off on an 800-mile walk through England back in 1983, the Ajahn Sumedho's parting comment was, to me was, um, actually, there's nobody going anywhere. <laughs> As discomforting news. <laughs> Actually, there's nobody going anywhere. There, there are just conditions of mind that are changing. So we'll uh, make the opportunity for the last, next little piece of the afternoon to be for uh, some more questions. Um, I thought I just would preface uh, preface that uh, time for questions and discussion with, with one extra little piece. Um, following on from what I was saying about the, the letting go of the, the sense of I and the feeling of the, the doer or the experiencer, uh, oftentimes even when we develop the insight practice in this way in a very extensive manner and 
we can uh, we can see that you know the sounds that we hear around are not self, or the you know, the feelings in the body are not self. Uh, even the, the thoughts and, and memories that uh, that we have, when the insight uh, and the quality of awareness is really acute, when there is real vijja and that quality of knowing, you can see that these thoughts and feelings, perceptions, they really uh, are not who and what we are. They're not self. There is an awareness of that, even though they might have written all over them, this is my memory, my idea, my feeling. And so that might all be very clear, but then we come to the issue of, of decision-making, choice. So, well, I can see that your memory is not self and thought is not self, but somebody seems to be making some choices here. Like, who decides? Because <laughs> certainly that, that, that you know, even if the, a memory is, is empty of, of self or a thought is empty of self, I can recognize that, but someone seems to be making a decision here. And so... Uh, that uh, is often a conundrum that, that uh, people, or the uh, alleged people, <laughs> some pseudo-humans, uh, allegedly uh, existent people, uh, wonder about. Well, how does that work? Or what's happening there? Is it, is it really the case? Because it really feels like there's, there's somebody or something here that's, that's deciding uh, it really feels like you know, I'm choosing. But when we, we, we look at that closely, that whole process, uh, and again with the same kind of investigative quality, and, and this, this element of investigation, Dhamma Vijaya or uh, Yoni So Manasikara, these are not things that are, uh, we, it's not as though we need to lay aside the, the peace of the mind in order to engage in this kind of activity. Uh, Dhamma Vijaya is a, a factor of enlightenment. So mindfulness is the first factor of enlightenment. Dhamma Vijaya is the second. So when the mind is truly uh, awake, when the mind is enlightened, then there, this, na- this quality of investigation is one of the things that occurs uh, naturally. The, in, the in, innate intelligence uh, of the mind, the fertility of the mind seeks patterns. It recognizes patterns. It investigates uh, reality. So, uh, when there is that kind of investigation, we can see, well, there's a, a say a feeling of um, discomfort in the body. Okay, feeling, feeling is not self. <laughs> then there's the thought, um, my body is uh, uncomfortable. I wonder if it's time to move. <laughs> so this is a thought. Thought is not self. Then there's memory. Last time this happened, I decided not to move. And then it really hurt. (laughs) So memory is not self. But on the other hand, there's the encouragement to only move if you really need to. Thought is still not self. (laughs) Doubt is not self. So then, he says, well, what did Ajahn Amaro once say? Oh, he said, oh yes, don't move out of aversion to the pain, but wait until it's kindness to the body. That's what he said, smart guy. (laughs) He always says those things. So, memory is not self. Judgment is not self. Resentment is not self. Uh, Wisdom is not self. (laughs) <laughs> so then uh, the, these, all these different elements arise and then the, um, there's a weighing up out of memory, out of thinking, out of judgment all these different elements are not self and then there is uh, uh, say a, a set of, of possibilities that the mind, mind sees. And then there, um, there's a, maybe the recognition, okay, well, this, this feels like uh, the body is really under, uh, under strain here. Body is not self. <laughs> uh, 
this feels uh, like it's, it's definitely time to move. Feeling is not self. <laughs> then uh, there's a recognition, uh, it's time to move the body. So intention, and it rises, chetana. But then we also, uh, that, that intention is also not self. It's just arising from memory, from, uh, from wisdom, from kindness. And then the body moves. The body is not self. So then on one level we can say, well, I, I was feeling uncomfortable and so I decided to move. But when we take it to apart, when we, it's like the, the Buddha said about the chariot, or we can say about your car, when you, when you take all the pieces apart, there is no essential chariotness. There's a wheel here and an axle there and a, and a, a, um, uh, a rim here and a, a pole there. But there's no, there's no chariot that's in the wheel or in the axle, in the, in the pole, in, the, in the, the steering gear. There's no essential chariotness, but when you put the pieces together, you get chariot. So similarly, when you, you look at a decision uh, of that nature, when you take it apart, you see there's memory, there's, um, there's thinking, there's feeling, there's judgment, there's intention, there's uh, more feeling, there's more thinking, uh, action, and when you take all the pieces apart, there's no, there's no self in any one of them, even though it looks from the outside like there is me making a choice. Just like it looks like there's a car there, but when you, when you take all the pieces apart, there is actually no car. When you dismantle all the parts, there's no essential carness still remaining in the, in the parking lot or in the breaker's yard. It's just the pieces separate out. So uh, this is also, uh, and in the spirit of, of Buddhist teachings always, that things are not to be believed. Just, uh, but I would like to put this forward as something for you, for, uh, you to investigate. Is that the case? Yeah. Or is there really a, an essential chooser, me that is the decider who, who steers my life, not just when I'm dealing with discomfort in meditation, but when I'm choosing, should I hang out with these Buddhists anymore, should I go back to the, <laughs> to the church, or should I, uh, spend my, uh, should I spend my Fourth of July weekend in a much more uh, enjoyable way? Was this all a waste of time? Yeah. So you can choose for ourselves, judge for ourselves, and, and see what, what, uh, what the truth is from our own investigation. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out as a final comment, but uh, please, uh, any questions or things that need clarifying? Yeah, and also if you could speak up so people can hear. Question? Um, well, my subjective experience is that I do have a self and that I am a person... And that really hasn't changed after 35 years or so of, of practice. And uh, I believe that self is composed of memories. And that... Can you speak louder? And that um, perhaps all there is is past. Past is the only thing that is real. And when I experience a present moment, that's automatically connected to the past. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't know that it's present. So all there is is past. All there is is self. That's my subjective experience, if I really look carefully. Mm -hmm. Who's looking? <laughs> all those things. <laughs> Body memories, feelings, thoughts, put them all together, and I have a subjective experience of self. Mm -hmm. That's who's looking. Yeah, well, that, that's your experience. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the Buddha, he didn't put his teaching out as a philosophical position to take, but a means of examining what our experience is. And so, um, if that's what, you're, what you find, then, um, you know, that's, that's not to be negated. But, but you can use these kind of practices to explore, well, what is the thing here that is the owner? What, yeah, what, it, what characteristic does that have? How, does, how is anything owned? 
not that you're looking for a verbal answer, but just exploring, well, there's this sense of, of I, the doer, I, the owner, but what is that I, actually? What quality does it have? Where is it? And if there's something that knows that I, what's that that's knowing the I? And then, by and it's not as though it's just a kind of mind game that we're playing, but what uh, the, what we find is the purpose of that, or what is the effect of uh, of uh, seeing things in that way, that the the sense of I and sense of self as an object, as a, a quality of nature, is that the uh, experience of of, uh, of liberation, of freedom, as a quality of when, of of intrinsic um, uh, kind of openness and and ease that comes when when the the feeling of I is recognized as an object rather than being who and what I am when it's seen as an attribute of nature when the I feeling I the meditator I the experiencer when it's when it's recognized that oh this is just like the shape of a leaf or the the wetness of the of the creek. It's just that. It's not actually, this, this meanness is not actually me. <laughs> ah, at least that's what, what I experience or is experienced here, is that there's a tremendous sense of, oh, how delightful. Whereas the more that, that I am a solid doer, feeler, experiencer, owner, then that same uh, ease and, and expansiveness is, is not apparent. But that's just, that's only the, the experience here. So I, I can't say you should be different, <laughs> or or what you're experiencing is all wrong. You know, it's not. You know, it's yeah, exactly. And so that we start, we work with what is the actuality of our of our uh, of our world. Yeah, at the back there. Well, you would. I wouldn't. <laughs> it's it's uh, the the anything you call it is wrong. Like if it if uh, <coughs> the whole the whole methodology of of Buddhist practice is rather than trying to define what we are, it's letting go of identification with what we're not, and then what is the reality is what remains. And as soon as we try to define it, put it into a packet, then it's uh, it's wrong. It it it, uh, it doesn't work. It's like you can't you can't freeze a bubble. You know, the, a soap bubble is is mobile. You can't sort of as soon as you try to hold it, pop, <laughs> off it goes. Yeah, the fellow at the back. The, uh, this, you're not the first person to ask that question. <laughs> well, uh, in in Buddhist uh, philosophy, we uh, we don't use the word reincarnation, more rebirth. And the distinction is that um, rather than the the and you know, even in the Buddha's time, this question was was raised quite frequently. He says, well, if there's no if all these things are not self, then what is it that's reborn? And the short answer is habits. Habits are reborn. So that it's not like in the, in the Hindu philosophy, they depict it as like this, a single independent bubble of selfhood, the Atman, that goes and inhabits one body, one life after another, after another, and after another, and tries to, re- well, it depends on the philosophy, but... And um, many of them, the idea is that the Atman keeps living through these different lives and, diff- and lessons are learned, so eventually the Atman is uh, uh, reassumed into the Godhead of Brahman. And that's the, the spiritual quest, is Atman in search of becoming one with Brahman, like the self trying to unite with God. So the, the Buddha, uh, right from the very beginning, um, spoke in a way that didn't match that. 
and said, uh, you know, and wouldn't talk in terms of trying to define the Atman or saying the Atta, the true self, is this or that, but more saying, don't try and define the Atman, don't try and define, you know, like, or, or think in terms of a, a person or an entity, a fixed entity that is the recipient of karma, but just seeing that action has its results. Action and speech has its results. So that if, you, if, you, if there is wholesome and benevolent action, it will have a pleasant result. If there's harmful and selfish action, it will have a painful result. Mm. And so that to call it an individual or call it a person, he said, it's, it, it's going too far. He said, like, a child, when, 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 when you compare yourself with the child that you were when you were three, he said, you can't say that you're entirely the same or you can't say that you're entirely different. There's a causal connection. Even though all the cells of the three-year-old have been replaced, that, but you, you can't say that there's no connection. So that um, what you can recognize is that um, you know, the feeling of, of, of self and individuality is something that, that has some strength. And that it's it persists according to the uh, the degree of identification with, with action and speech. And generally, the more harmful, destructive, selfish the action and speech is, the more dense and, and intense the identification is. And that the more that the action and speech is wholesome and benevolent, then the easier it is to, to not get caught in that identification. So that's why good, the Buddha praised goodness, not because goodness is good in its own account. It's just goodness makes it easier to recognize the way things work and to let go and to not identify. So one of the images that I like to use um, to describe this, it's rather like a, a wave. You know, if you know how wave mechanics work, that when, you, when you're standing on the shore and you see a wave um, starting out in the sea and, and approaching the shore, it looks like one ridge of water that's, that's coming in right, and then hitting the, the beach, right? Uh, actually, what's happening is that it's not the, that water that's uh, 150 yards out that's coming in. It's a wave of energy that's moving through. The, the water itself is actually moving in, in a, a kind of uh, elliptical pattern. The mole actual molecules of water, and it's an energy wave that's progressing from out, out at sea into the shore. The actual water that's 150 yards out does not come in and hit the shore. It basically goes up and down. And then it transmits the energy to the next, the next, the next, the next, and it's the energy wave that, that hits the shore. So our habits, good habits, neutral habits, or harmful habits, they are like the wave that progresses, that picks up different molecules of water and then transmits itself through. And if we have uh, like a a lot of karma, or very intense karma, or particular kinds of karma, that creates or conditions the shape of the wave. Right? So that um, the more that we uh, are uh, able to um, understand that every thought, every feeling, every perception that arises is not who and what we are, the more that we, we, we recognize that form is not self, feelings are not self, perceptions are not self, etc. Uh, and there's a, a radical non-attachment, then this is no longer contributing energy to the wave. So that the wave uh, you know, uh, runs itself out and then just uh, the energy dissolves itself into the sea. Um, the more that we don't recognize that, the more the, the energy of the wave gets stoked and the, the wave gets bigger and bigger and then uh, crashes on the shore. So um, when we are, are talking about being reborn, it's simply that uh, transmittal of, of energy, of habit and identification. And when, that's why when you say, when there's no identification, there's no clinging, when, some, when somebody is an arahant, they are not reborn, which means that there's, there's no longer that uh, creation of that wave. They, it's like their, their, um, their nature dissolves or just becomes part of the rest of the sea, which it always was. Because we think we're an individual moving around in the world, right? I am this person. Actually, 
even our body is like a metropolis. Even a cell, if you, any of you read that wonderful book by Lewis Thomas called The Lives of a Cell, should be a required reading for all Buddhist meditators. The Lives of a Cell. Even one little cell in our body is like, is like New York City, like the whole Bay Area. It's this incredible, a complex of, of different interrelated systems, um, of, and systems and subsystems and sub-subsystems. And there are whole colonies of entities in our body whole bacterial farms that are totally oblivious to the fact that they are part of Ajahn Amaro. <laughs> they think they are their own little world, you know, living under my fingernails or, you know, or in my armpit or someplace. You know, that they, they don't know that they are part of a, of, a, of a unique and independent organism called me. <laughs> right? Just like we as human beings feel like we are um, unique and independent and not part of a bigger thing called the spirit rock community or, or humans or part of planet Earth. So, the, um, when we, we think about um, our independence, it's rather like a wave um, or, 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 you know, that feeling of, of, um, of like, I'm an independent person, you know, or I, you know, I'm, I, uh, I have my own life, and I do my own thing. It's rather like a wave saying, well, you know, I, I am myself, you know, I have my own life. And in fact, I'm not even sure whether the sea really exists, it's just a rumor. <laughs> but I've got my life, you know, and sometimes I have this sense of not really belonging, but, you know, it does, it does occur to me sometimes, but, you know. It's like the wave trying to decide whether, it, you know, whether the sea exists or not, or whether it belongs or not. But it's it, the whole substance of it. You know, every fabric, every element of its nature is part of the same sea. It's like we're all part of the natural order. We couldn't not be, physically, mentally. But yet, the illusion of separateness is very great. It's like a wave thinking, well, I'm really actually just totally my own person. I'm my own thing. You know, I'm, I just have my own life, and I do my thing, and I got born, and here I am, I have this shape, and I move, and... And I have, you know, a future. <laughs> but actually, all along, it's just water, and it's because of the particular energy that's moving through it and and, and causing it to take a, t a certain shape. We say, "I am Amaro, or I am Jim, or I am Susie, or I am Harry, or I am Jack Cornfield. I'm a little child. I'm an old guy. You know, I'm a woman. I'm a man. I'm a monk. I'm a layperson. You know, whatever. You know that." That these are just shaped, you know, different characteristics of the wave. There's actually nothing there. It's just apart from the the water. It's it's all just uh, what we add to it with our uh, the way we hold it. So non-attachment and and uh, liberation is to do with that, no longer adding to the wave, so that our life lives itself and and we do our thing and we carry on with a human body and a personality. But for an enlightened being, that's like when they. The, the wave of their, their life as an individual entity, as someone who's been born, who has parents and a family, that carries on. But then when the body dies, the Buddha was really adamant, you can't say anything about what happens to an enlightened being when they die. And he wouldn't even use the language of, well, they return into the ocean of suchness, or the, uh, they belong to the universe. He, he wouldn't even say that much. You can't say anything. You can't say they go anywhere, they, they say, well, you know, what about what about parinibbana or final nibbana? Because yeah, final nibbana means means an arahant's body dying. <laughs> it's not like a super heaven that you go to. So they say, well, you know, they say the Buddha entered parinibbana. Well, well, entered is not quite the right word. <laughs> it's like arrived at parinibbana. So does that mean that you know an enlightened being doesn't exist after they die? The Buddha says, no, you can't say that. Do they? Both exist and not exist. You, you can't say that either. Well, do they neither exist nor not exist? That doesn't apply either. Any way you work it, it doesn't apply. And he said, it's like if a fire, if you had a little fire burning here and it went out, and I said, did the fire go north, south, east, or west? What would you say? So well, it didn't go anywhere. It just went out. So similarly, when you ask, where does an enlightened being go when they die? It's like... You put a you put the question in such a way that that presumes a reality that does not exist. 
where does not apply, reappears does not apply. You can't conceive the reality. Don't try. So what we can see in terms of rebirth is how when we are caught up in... Uh, you can see rebirth happening moment to moment, day to day. And it's a, even though we, we think of it across lifetimes and bodies being born as little babies and growing up and, and bodies dying and so forth, we can see rebirth happening in just in getting born into a project, born into a new job, born into a new house, a new relationship, a new meditation practice. Oh, this is the greatest thing. I'm really into wisdom. I'm done with that concentration stuff. This is it. This is the true way. Great. This is called being born. And so then the result of birth is that there's a, 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 a kind of flush of enthusiasm and, and, and uh, an energy. And then along with birth, there is, uh, uh, there is growth, maturity, aging. And then the ending, like, oh, God, how many years have I been doing this? And maybe that concentration practice really would have been a lot better. And actually, those, guys, those people down at the Christian church, they seem to have a lot of fun. And we, the Buddhists don't have any fun. Just, I want to sing carols. And, <laughs> so this is called, uh, in Buddhist jargon, Sokapari Deva Dukkha Domanasa Upayasa. Sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. So the way that that works is the way that we're be, re, we are reborn is that there's feeling, feeling conditions desire, desire conditions clinging, clinging conditions becoming, becoming conditions birth, birth conditions aging, death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. Now, if we're wise, we'll realize... Now, I'm experiencing suffering and disappointment because I, I was really stoked about this new practice and now I'm feeling disappointed. So now I've got the urge just to go and find a new practice or a new car or a new relationship or a new house or a new job or a new state or a new something, a new anything because I'm feeling disappointed and incomplete. Now, maybe if I just get reborn into that next thing, I'm going to get disappointed with that. You know, another marriage, another job, another house and around, and around. This is called the cycle of rebirth, or the cycle of addiction. This is what happens if we're not wise. If we're wise, we'll say, well, I remember what happened last time. <laughs> now, this is disappointment. This is the feeling of suffering. So, oh, how did this happen? Where did this come from? And then we, we, we track it back, and we see, oh, this is because I invested a lot. I put my heart into thinking, this was going to be the thing that made me happy. So maybe this will make me happy, but if I, maybe if I just pick it up without clinging to it, maybe if I do get a new job, but I don't think this is, this is going to be the, the solution to all my problems. Maybe it's just a new job. Maybe if I, if I move to a new house, and if I, if I relate to this house in, well, it's just a house. It keeps the rain out. It keeps the sun out. It's, it's okay. It's a good enough place. It's not going to make me totally happy. It is what it is. So we feel that enjoyment of that, or we, we are able to live with it, but we're not investing all our, our, our hope. We're not getting born into it. We're simply picking it up and holding it. This is called um, liking but not wanting. No, like we, can, we can appreciate it, but without getting caught up in it. This is living in the world without getting reborn. So then we change a job, or we, keep it, we stay where we are, or we we, uh, we experience a feeling of disappointment and we realize, well, this is just the result of hope. Because I hoped I experienced disappointment. Big surprise. That's the way life is. I'm, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. I used to be able to zoom up the mountains. Now I can't do it. No wonder. I'm not 23 anymore. Duh. <laughs> this is a very difficult thing for Californians to deal with. Yeah. You know, when you have the kind of young Buddhist group and then the 63-year-olds show up. I says, so what are you doing here? You know, you got... <laughs> You're 63. I says, well, I kind of relate to the youth. I really feel part of this group. <laughs> You're 63. This is not a young Buddhist. So you're being abusive, Ajahn. This is...
no, I'm being realistic. <laughs> so when, when there's that, we're not born into things, which doesn't mean to say that we, we reject, but we, 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 we live lightly. Then we can feel and see and smell and taste and touch. We can go about and do our thing, but without confusion. So that's, we're not contributing to more rebirth. So then we're, we're not reborn. We live our life and do our thing, but we're not expecting uh, the world to, to, uh, to make us totally happy, and we're not afraid of it totally disappointing us. So there's a, an ease uh, that we experience in life. So not being reborn is something really delightful. <laughs> Even though we might think, yeah, but I want to be reborn. I <laughs> I, you know, I'm not ready to let go of the world. It's like, well, but we're ready to let go of our, our disappointments. Uh, our feeling of discord, our feeling of alienation. We're very happy to let go of that. So if you think in terms of letting go of rebirth, not being reborn as, uh, as like uh, not being alienated, it's a bit more attractive, right? <laughs> That's a long answer to a short question. Uh, yeah, the fellow there with the glasses. Uh, I've, I've heard it described streams of karma, you know, self as streams of karma, and, then, and this thing about we can, we can build, there, it implies that there's some entity that builds karma that, where the karma goes. If we deliver our life in some decent way, we have less karma added to our pile than if we're doing something else. So. Can you just talk about karma? <laughs> 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 well, that's basically what I was talking about, you know, karma and rebirth. Yeah. It's basically that, that karma just means action. So what we're doing here today, this is known in the trade as the karma that leads to the end of karma, the work that leads to the end of, of creating action and, and rebirth. So there's a lot of sort of Hinduish type uh, teachings that disguise themselves as, as Buddha Dhamma. So sometimes people quote the Buddha as saying things that he didn't actually say according to the texts. <laughs> so um, he certainly talked about you know, action, wholesome action, and unwholesome action, and having its results. But you know, a person accumulating karma accumulating good karma, accumulating bad karma, he didn't really use that kind of language so much. It's, you know, it's, it's more just um, looking at your own life and seeing how the tendencies work and just what's the result of, of clinging and identification, what's the result of non-clinging and non-identification. That's the best way to learn about how karma works. Okay, yeah. Well, it, it depends completely on the attitude with which we're, we're doing it. Essentially, if we really start with right view, then we're not, it's not going to be done from a position of self. If we somehow skip over that bit, <laughs> and it's me developing the path so that I can get somewhere, then we've, we've uh, picked the, the thing up in the wrong way. And so the, the Buddha used this image of, of picking up a snake Say if you if you attach to to um, unwholesomeness, it's like picking the snake up from the, with the head. It bites you right away. You know, grasping unwholesome action, it's immediately painful. If I lie to you, um, if I uh, attack you, if I um, if I if I uh, harm you or steal from you, then that's immediately painful to, to me and to you. It's like you, you're reaching out for the snake's head. <coughs> immediate painful. Uh, uh, result. Uh, attaching to happiness or attaching to goodness is like picking up the tail of the snake. It's still the same snake. <laughs> you know, you, you, you pick it up. It's not, got, it's not the sharp end, but because you picked it up, then it whips around and bites you pretty soon. 
So the, um, the way to pick up a snake is just behind the head. You kind of reach behind the head and pick up the snake from the neck, and that way it can't bite you. So that um, the, the, that's the, the wise way to handle a snake. So any way of, of, of um, grasping the snake wrongly, and the snake being our life and our senses and the, and the, the material world, if we don't pick it up wisely, and even if it's a spiritual practice, then it's going to be obstructive and difficult. So that's why to uh, this this element of investigation, uh, exploring yoni so manasikara, like looking at well, what's the motivation here? Am I trying to get something? Is this because I want to become wise, or I want to become enlightened? I want to, you know, I've you know, I, I've got over that materialistic thing. But I still, I'm, I'm, you realize I'm ambitious. I want to become the first one out of my high school, to show up my high school reunion who's enlightened. You know. <laughs> Ten years ago, I was wanting to be the first billionaire, but now I want to be the first enlightened one at the, at the high school reunion. And so we see, well, okay, maybe becoming enlightened is a noble aspiration, but doing it to impress your, your old school buddies is not very skillful. <laughs> I'm just kind of inflating it. Just. Yeah. Well, that's why to to see that's when we really want to develop the path. That this acute sense of the ahankara mamankara, the I making, my making tendency, just spotting that wherever that arises. Well, one of the things I like to point out um, with the practice is where right effort, when we're cultivating like the, the factor of the path, right effort, is um, sangvara pahana bhavana anurakana, sangvara, restraining the unwholesome from arising, or if the unwholesome has arisen, letting go of it. Uh, cultivating the wholesome, uh, and then maintaining and being the wholesome that has arisen. So you're, there's, a, there's, there's some doing going on there. So that's part of the Eightfold Path. That's necessary, a, a, an absolutely necessary part of, of the path. So on the other side of the coin, cause of suffering, you've got bhavatana vipavatana, the desire to become, the desire to get rid of. So the desire, hang on a minute, I thought we were supposed to get rid of the unwholesome. <laughs> Wasn't that, wasn't that part of the, the path? How can getting rid of, of my problems be a cause of suffering? Vibhavatanha, the desire to get rid of distracted thought, the desire to get rid of anger, to get rid of jealousy, etc. So, how come, on the one hand, these two, these two sets of, of qualities, they look almost exactly like each other? One is called right effort, and the other is called the cause of suffering. How can that be? Causes, you know, causes suffering, gamatana, bhavatana, vipavatana, sense desire, bhavatana, the desire to become, vipavatana, the desire to get rid of, to annihilate. So the, the key is that when it's I, got the I feeling, I want to become enlightened, I want to develop jhana, I want to develop insight, I want to be wise, uh, I want to, to um, stop thinking, I want to be awakened, I, 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 I. So it's the, right, <laughs> therefore, cause of suffering. On the other hand, let there be the development of, of, of wholesomeness, let there be development of concentration, let there be the development of enlightenment, of insight. Uh, if there is uh, jealousy or fearfulness, know it, uh, abandon it, let go of it. Not me abandoning it to get something else, but... It's recognized, like I was saying about decision-making. There's, no, there's not an I involved in it. So the way you can tell the difference between what is the path and what is the, the, the problem <laughs> is that I sense, the feeling of, of, of me, the doer, me, the experiencer, me, the actor, me, the, the owner. And so that's why this kind of practice that we've been talking about today, this quality of, of 
pure awareness, pure knowing. It's it's only when we uh, the the heart is really trained to abide in that degree of unbiasedness that we can truly see the I feeling arising because normally that's kind of locked into place. I'm the meditator, I'm doing, I'm going to Spirit Rock, I'm doing this day long. <laughs> I'm talking to you, I'm giving a Dhamma talk. I, I, I. And if, if that, uh, normally we start out from the position of that being solid so that this development of, of awareness, of, of vijja, of knowing, is like getting right to the back wall. And so that then, as soon as there's the I, the I am, the I do, the I want, I think, I feel, I, I am, that's recognized as a departure. That's the, the, the mind has, has been born into an, that I feeling. Because birth doesn't have to happen about buying a new car or getting a new dog. It can just, just the, oh, I'm concentrated, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's a birth right there. So it's right, recognizing the, that object being picked up and then letting go. And then the, and that awareness returns to the, to the back wall. Oh, I see Lisa's hand is a short one. Can you speak up? I feel like I've just gone through a lot of confusion. And, um, and just last night I started to get some clarity. And coming here has been very helpful. Um, and my question is, why, why is um, the attachment to um, non-becoming more difficult to see than in becoming? Well, it isn't. It just depends on the person. It's, just it's totally it's down to conditioning. It's just the perception. Yeah. That's it, confusing. That I just got confused with. Well, it's different for different sets of conditioning. Different waves are different shapes. Right. So whereas for another, you know, in another um, set of perceptions, you know, Becoming and and the desire to become, the desire to get rid of—they're totally visible. But sense desire, kind of, even though it seems to be larger and more glorious, you just walk straight in the front door. You're busy guarding the back door, <laughs> and then some huge sense desire just waltzes right in the front and says hi. <laughs> you don't even notice it till it's it's sort of taken over the house. Well, it's knowing your own character. You have to, to know your, your own disposition. You know, do you like sweet or do you like salty? Short or long? You know? Do you like ascetic or do you like indulgent? You know? what's, what's your flavor? Pistachio or <laughs> raspberry ripple? Anyway, um, that brings us to five o'clock-ish. So, um, it's a glorious day. I uh, sincerely hope that we are freed from more tyrants at the end of the day than we were <laughs> tied to at the beginning and dominated by at the beginning. So uh, maybe I'll just finish with the sharing of, of blessings and then I think there'll probably be uh, a few announcements because there always, always are some of those things. <laughs> don't know what they are, but I'm sure there will be some. So oh, please feel free to, to join in with uh, this uh, chant if you... Uh, if you know the words, just sing along. <laughs> now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world. May the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, guardian spirits of the earth, and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent, or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life, 
may they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, may all desires and attachments quickly cease and all harmful states of mind until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord, the Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. So, go well and enjoy your uh, 4th of July holidays. Watch out for falling rockets. This talk was given by a John Amro at Spirit Rock Meditation Center on July 2, 2006. It is an offering of the Dharma.